Jacob just identified and recognized a valuable action taken by another team member and spread the word to create a culture that rewards quality work and positive contributions. This statement is an example of an action value statement from the LeaderBit Challenge titled Giving Credit. In our leadership program, every week your leaders take action to develop and grow in their role as a leader. We have over 70 of these action-based micro-challenges that bring value to you and your company. Now, get excited because today we are talking to Darlene, the CTO of Agilent Technologies, and we discuss the acceleration of innovation happening in biology, how to keep your skills sharp by surrounding yourself with A players, and the next generation of breakthrough biotechnology Agilent is developing. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello. Hey, Joel. This is Darlene. Darlene, I'm so excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Yes. This is going to be the best, best talk ever. Do you, and I know you say that every time, and it's actually possible that that could be true, but... <laughs> well, when like, every day is a new day, and mm-hmm. so I'm alive, I'm healthy, and it's the for me, it's the best day of my life today. There you go. There you go. That healthy is awfully important. At your young age, um, not everyone necessarily takes that one as the top of the list. Yeah, well, you know what? It was having a kid that put me over the edge with it. Yeah. How old's your kid? Uh, she is 13 months old, so a year and a month. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. wow. Very special time indeed. Yeah. And then we have another, we have a boy coming in April. So we'll back to back. Very, very nice. Yeah. So they'll be about just about two years, not quite two years then apart. Yeah. Less than, yeah. A little, yeah. A little less than Yeah. Nice. Although, uh, yeah, I've been there. It's, 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 it's all great, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot. How many did you have? I have two. I have an older son, younger daughter. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you got the boy or girl thing too. Yep. Yeah. It was a, made it really easy to stop it too, but that's not necessarily suggesting anything. But for us, that was about all we could handle. <laughs> that's, that's the conversation I was having with my wife when we were doing laundry the other night. I was like, we were always talking about three, but I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good about two right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you hear the stories about being outnumbered, and then of course there's always that possibility that the third one could be twins, and then you're really in trouble. I actually <laughs> wanted that. I wanted, I wanted twins the first time, twins the second time. I was hoping for it. So if I do go third, it will be in the hopes of it being twins. Okay, you're you're on a safe track then. I don't know why <laughs> well, I like the twins. Haven't started a professional interview with such a pleasant, um, let's say, life balance conversation. So that that's really cool, Joel. All right. This this is the show, by the way, the whole time we record and we just clip it together to sound good afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm, where are you calling in from today? So I'm at Agilent's headquarters, which is where I work in Santa Clara, California, and uh, just in a conference room here so we can chat. Oh, does it have a cool name, the conference room? Yeah, actually, um, not, not, so we had this a very large site with lots of conference rooms, um, but each one is named after somebody that we think is important in science and technology. So this is the Sanger conference room. And you yeah. may be familiar with Sanger sequencing, which is the uh, kind of the original, what we call first generation DNA sequencing, which is, uh, is very important globally and also relevant to our conversation today. 
No, that's that's. I thought I thought it was gonna be. Um, what was his name? Carl. Who did the first uh, Cosmos? What was his name? Uh, oh yeah, Sagan. Carl Sagan. Okay, so, so it's not we Sagan. actually. So the so the rooms are alphabetical across the site. Oh, okay. I, actually, if if we weren't on a headphone right now, I could move to the Sagan conference room if you prefer. <laughs> how you you make it? You're building such a large image in my head. Give me an example of size. Like how how large is the organization? Well, Agilent as a whole is about fourteen thousand five hundred people these okay. days. Uh, here at our Santa Clara site, we've got maybe eighteen hundred people, roughly. Okay. It's it's a large site, but um, you know we we're a very global company and uh, multiple sites in multiple countries. And what's your core business? Like, what value do you, do you bring to the market? So Agilent is a global leader in the life sciences instrumentation, chemical analysis, and diagnostics markets. So life sciences is like life science research, pharmaceutical industry, diagnostics is clinical diagnostics, uh, especially genomics led and pathology. And then when we say applied markets, not everyone knows kind of what that is, but it's applied chemical. So it's areas like food safety, environmental monitoring, and supporting um, advancements in the chemical and energy industry. That's amazing. I, I really I really like that. So my my stepmom and my brother are both physicians, and then I've got the engineering background, and my sister is actually a um, like physics middle school physics teacher, science teacher. So we've got you covered. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they my guess is I don't know if you had, if you were familiar with Agilent. Um, many people know us in one particular area, but not necessarily the breadth of areas that we span. Yeah, well, it's got, it's a cool name. It's got a cool ring to it. <laughs> Glad you like it. They spent a lot of time figuring that out when we spun out of Hewlett Packard back in 1999. How long were you with Hewlett Packard before that? Uh, about 15 years. I started uh, right after my um, PhD uh, from MIT in bioinorganic chemistry. That's amazing. That sounds so cool. <laughs> and I like it because, like, while a lot of the people I do talk to are in the software product space. Um, well, we, we actually, we get across the board, but everybody seems to have to be involved with software and product to some degree. Like even when we're talking to like William Sonoma, who's based in San Francisco, like they're doing stuff in AR and some M&A activity there. But um, yeah, it's, it's so cool when I get to, to speak to somebody that's doing other stuff. Like I'm a big nerd outside of just uh, technology, like coding. I'm always like the other night I was researching carbon fiber nanotubes just because I was like, oh, that sounds like the future. <laughs> well, I, I have to balance it with uh, a very significant of our um, R&D investment is also in software and informatics. It's a, a really important part of the uh, of all of those markets it's in terms of the, the upfront design and also being able to take the data that you generate off of our platforms and actually get meaningful, you know, actionable information is, is all about the informatics. And these days, of course, digital is huge. Oh, of course. yeah. I was I was reading something uh, a couple months ago, and they were talking about the way, and it was in like organic style um, sciences. They were saying that the number of combinations that you can put together, the chemical structures. I think that's where I was. It was in uh, pharmaceuticals, maybe chemical structures and pharmaceuticals combining the elements differently. There's so many options that we actually were were somewhat limited by our power to process all the available options and combinations uh, 
really fast. And so that's something that we're catching up to with our advancements in AI and processing. Is that yeah, yeah. Very, very true, very true, as well as the whole area of, of modeling and prediction and you know, very, very much based on the computational capability that is increasingly amazing. It's so weird because we go about our, our everyday lives and like it's it's getting so much faster and the thing the basic things we do like posting photos or sending messages or beaming video across the United States in, in real time it's become so common to us that when we go to we actually have this bottleneck over here where we can't compute fast enough it's almost odd to think about yeah I mean it's not it's not just about comp how fast you can compute um, but it's really about being able to to bring together all the metadata and information to you know really know what to do with the structures that you would generate, for example, in, in the case that you gave. But what you just said about our lives as consumers is actually a very important trend in the analytical and ultimately in the clinical laboratory as well, where you know these capabilities that we find ubiquitous um, more and more. Uh, the I'm going to say the traditional laboratory is also going through a digital transformation. You know, I like to think about um, smarter instruments, smarter workflows, and smarter laboratories, and it's all about that abundant uh, computation and connectivity. I love it. So, what does the average day look like for you? So uh, let's see. There's there's probably no quite average day. You'd have to average over a lot of days <laughs> to get that, uh, but you know, every day is different, which is really part of what I love about my role. Um, I think that the, you know, there's a big slice, which is the internally focused, and then another, which is more the external for me. So, you know, internally, it's all about, and actually all of it is about setting and enabling Agilent's technology strategy. And so internally, you know, those are the meetings with our CEO, Mike McMullen, and our executive staff. Um, and then, you know, all the, my, within my own organization, more, more down the company, um, helping to keep us moving forward in terms of setting priorities and, and executing. So that's the internal piece. The, the external a lot of that I do here in Santa Clara, but I also um, spend a lot of time on the road meeting with research collaborators, customers, academic leaders, startup companies, you know, giving presentations, uh, as well as like advisory boards and committees and things. So there's lots of, there's lots of different things each day within those like kind of two big buckets. That's awesome. I've, so this past week I got to meet um, the CTO of NASA and yeah, he came on the show, an amazing Douglas Terrier. But he was talking about all the advancements that they make and the different things that they have to do with the public private sector and like the organics and everything from filtration to food and all this. Have you guys gotten to do anything with space related at all? Space related. Um, so uh, we, we don't do a lot with space related, um, but every... But from time to time, um, uh, actually, well, let me let me premise with actually one of the I had an opportunity actually to give um, a keynote down at um, JPL Jet Propulsion Labs um, a couple of years ago, and a lot of that was around the dual use of their technology towards. Um, I'm going to say more, uh, you know, being able to take some of the capabilities they've developed in space and and seeing about how those could actually create, you know, improvements in quality of life, um, you know, across, across our current planet. And, uh, 
in terms of Agilent's technologies in space, there are missions that require, for example, chemical composition analysis and more and more biological studies. And so there uh, have been some opportunities where some components of our capabilities have ended up in space. Um, but for that's the most cool. part, that's it's really an extension of our academic and government research market. Um, but most of that is universities here on earth. That is amazing. You know, I learned a new term this week when I was talking uh, to Douglas. It's called uh, tech transfer is, is the term that they use when they're talking about it going back and forth between the public private sector. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, we actually use it the same way, um, but we also use it internally. And one of my key responsibilities is uh, leading our research laboratories, which is our longer range research within Agilent. We invest a greater proportion of revenue back into R&D compared to the average of our peers and competitors. So that's all of the R&D within our existing businesses, but also this additional R&D, which is much more looking around the corner and further out. So we talk about tech transfer as being able to take a technology that the research labs has potentially worked on for several years and transfer that to the R&D and marketing within our business partners who then commercialize the product. And oh, so, so, cool. so tech transfer is a, is a really important uh, phrase here too. That's so exciting. <laughs> I have a feeling when my daughter gets older, it's going to mean me, uh, mean me transferring her money. <laughs> <laughs> is that about right? Is that what I should expect? It's about right. Um, I, I, could, I could give you a sidebar story that's pretty amusing. but Please do. So I was just going to say that, um, yeah, when my uh, when uh, my my husband's on the faculty at Stanford, and when um, our daughter um, ended up, much to our surprise, deciding to go to Stanford, um, just because growing up here in the Bay Area, um, she used to come by and give my bring my husband um, a cappuccino in the morning, and he would give her a twenty in return. And I'm not sure that it was it was all driven, I think, about whether she needed cash that day. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the ATM is somewhat real. That is amazing. Oh, so so you're a great leader. You you uh, the CTO. You're at this large organization. I'm curious about some of your leadership tips. Like one thing I I'd like to know about is like how do you keep your skills sharp? Is it conferences? Like what do you do? You just read a lot. Yeah. So keeping keeping sharp. Um, I I. I do try to read a lot. Almost everything I read is technical and nonfiction, but I very much look to my um, my teams uh, of you know very um, you know top level scientists and engineers that we have here in Agilent to often leave me a paper or send something that they've read that they think you know I should be aware of. So that's a wonderful filter for me. And when they bring me stuff, I, I know that that's, that's a very time well spent. But I also do spend a lot of time externally. And in those visits, uh, I often go out with our um, field and sales teams. And from a um, Agilent perspective, you know, that those visits open doors, for example, with um, university and industrial leaders that are important to helping them get to know Agilent better. But I also greatly value the opportunities to meet some truly amazing individuals who are all um, with their priorities in terms of investments and the future. And that's all part of what I integrate into doing hopefully that much more effectively setting the technology strategy for, for us here in Agilent. 
Yeah, I like that. And I, and I found that about two or three years ago, I was very quiet. Um, I knew maybe about like 10 or 15 people. And, you know, I, I was always, I would think about it from that perspective. I think, Oh, what, what blog do I need to be reading? Or, you know, how do I like stay up? And then I found that when you get involved with community and you build up a network of people, what will happen is the most important information seems to make its way to you. Um, and I, I didn't realize the benefit of, of having those relationships. Then like you, everyone has this almost like internal rate ranking system or rating system for like individuals and what quality of content they bring into your life. All right. You know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. like, some, we don't speak about it a lot, but you could think of different people and you can instantly, you have this backlog or this data store of information about how quality and what topics they're believable on. And yeah, so it's so great when you start building up and whether you're an engineer and you're going to meetups or you know listening to talks or just getting out there. I think that everybody at every level of their career should be engaging and networking and, you know, being involved in their, their community. Cause I was retracted. And when I got plugged in, it, it just changed everything. Yeah. You know, you're absolutely right, Joel. External for- focus is, has always been important, but more and more so in, in our world today. And you do find that there's uh, some folks that have a very, very high internal credibility ranking as, as you're describing, but I also find that going out, you get a much broader view of what's going on. I mean, there's no crystal ball per se, but being able to um, integrate those different views and, uh, you know, kind of, as you say, sort of weigh them in and prioritize really does help set a direction. And it's also very true that, you know, different geographies have very different views of trends and markets. And so, um, making that a, a broad sweep externally is, is extremely, extremely helpful for me. All right. So I, I'm, I want your feedback on this. This is, this is unscripted. <laughs> so uh, I was giving a talk in Orlando last night and I'm in Sarasota. So it's like a three hour drive. So I was up in Orlando and then I was getting some food at Panera, like on my drive back. And I sat next to this uh, young guy. He was probably like 20, 21. I know I look young. I'm in my early thirties but he was younger than me. <laughs> and so uh, oh, I saw him and I saw that he was writing some code and, and I was like, oh, this is cool. And so I started to, I engaged with him. I said, hey, you know, tell me about what you're writing. And he's like, oh, it's code. And I was like, yeah, I know, <laughs> T- tell me more. I was like, what type of code? And so he, he went into it and in short, he, he's been writing code and, and, and pl- uh, you know, essentially playing with these books and things for about two or three years. And he's living at home and he, he had graduated from UCF. So he has a college degree and he was just like, I'm not sure what, I'm, what I want to do. I'm just writing this code. And I said, you know, have you applied to places? Have you looked at places? He's like, yeah, I keep sending my resume and I want X amount of money. I'm like, well, where are you at? Do you live at home? Like what's your financial situation? Like, and so he told me, he's like, yeah, I live at home. My parents, they just want me to do well. And so I said, what you need to do is you need to go and like find something that's cool, like that you think is the future, right? Like for example, he was really into fitness and he said that he really liked um, like augmented reality. So I was like, do a little side project with like augmented reality and fitness, like spend 10 days just building something up. I thought, then go around. I mean, you're in Orlando, this like 
everything's here. You know, all like you got a lot of opportunity here. So then go around to some of these companies and show them your AR project, you know, ask who's doing AR stuff. If that's what you're interested in, that's what you want to be in, you know, in the future. And then just ask for an internship. Say you don't want a job because every 20 something year old out of college thinks that they're going to make six figures and they're sending their basic projects and saying, you know, here's my resume. Here's my, I was like, be different and, and just go in there and leverage the fact that you live at home and, and not that you want to make six figures and then just go learn from the people because the people that you're going to learn from, um, it, those relationships are the most undervalued thing that you have in your mind right now. Like no one thinks about that in their first job, about the relationships and who they're going to be learning from. You don't realize that until later. And so I gave him, I gave him that advice. And I, I was curious as to two things. First is what do you think of that advice that I gave? And secondly, um, how, how does your organization reach out to the next generation? Okay. Um, so the, the first part is, yes, I think the advice you gave was very good. Um, and I, uh, that, you know, in often in life, you don't always know what next step is going to lead to the next, next step that wouldn't have happened without that one in between. So I very much agree with you that um, one needs to really appreciate uh, what, you know, what opportunities there are, even if at first it's not obvious what the value will be, you often find out later on. So great advice. You know, in terms of, of reaching out to the, um, the next generation, you know, I'll kind of give you the CTO view on that as compared to the HR view, which is where an awful lot of that happens in, in hiring and talent acquisition for just, you know, core to, to who we are. Um, but I will say that we offer uh, internships within research and development here. Those internships are always opportunities for students to come in and actually do something meaningful and be part of a project. It's not just, you know, kind of I don't want to say grunge work, but it's not, it's doing something scientific that is a learning opportunity and, and often can lead to um, a real sense of accomplishment as well as experience. Um, personally, I try to um, accept invitations when I can to go out and, and speak with um, groups of younger generation scientists, um, as well as, you know, you know, both in schools as well as in conferences. Um, this last spring, I gave the keynote, for example, at the Silicon Valley Women in Engineering Conference mm -hmm. at San Jose State. Uh, and, you know, there were literally um, a thousand, not only young, but also female and aspiring uh, engineers in that audience, you know, again, trying to think about what that next step might look like. So those, those are just a few thoughts. I don't know if you have any other questions along those lines. No, I was just, I was just interested. I think a lot of the CTOs and people, I mean, that's a question I do get is, you know, when I'd say a good part of our audience, maybe 20%, they're like in that range of they got 30 to 90 engineers and they're growing and they're starting to think about what I should be doing you know, mm -hmm. now that the company is growing. And so it's always cool to get different perspectives of what companies do. And yeah, now that you mentioned a women's organization, Witty, do you know Witty? Yeah, I know. I know Witty quite, quite well. Women is in that Technology. The, you got an award from Witty, right? I did way back. It was one of the earlier awards that I received. I think it was maybe 2003, their uh, induction into their hall of fame. And it was a fantastic award and needless to say, awards 
earlier in your career sometimes mean the most to you looking back? Yeah, I'm actually, the reason why I was curious is because I know one of the organizers for the Tampa, like St. Petersburg area, and they're uh -huh. having an event this month that uh, they invited me to. So I'm going to go to that. Oh, how good. That's great. Great to yeah. hear, John. Yeah. Yeah. I met them at a conference last year and I was hey, just cool people. Yeah. And we were talking, then they sent me an email and they're like, Hey, we're having an event. We're just getting a bunch of great people together. It's like pretty cool. And so, yeah. Witty, witty serves a really important purpose. You also hear about AWIS um, and SWE, Agilent's active in both of those. Um, AWIS is, uh, I think it's Academic Women in Science or Association for Women in Science. And then SWE is the Society of Women Engineers. And we're quite actively involved in our outreach to uh, young professionals as well as to students through, through those types of groups. Oh, cool. So you see this book right here? No, not quite. The resolution is right. not quite. I can see your finger pointing to the book, but oh, I can't read the title. Okay. Okay. Got it. The Princess Physicist. Mm -hmm. So this who's, princess. Who's, who's the author of that? Joel Beasley. Really? Me. Yeah. Very cool. So it's a, a princess gets uh, stuck. She gets stuck in a tower, right? Okay. And then ultimately she finds a book on physics, right? Mm -hmm. And she uses the physics to uh, get herself out of the tower. I'm so glad we included the video. This is wonderful. Right? <laughs> so there she is escaping the tower. Okay. And and of course it it uh what is it? It wasn't it, luck. What did it say? It wasn't luck or a, uh or a steed with a hunk. It was twas physics her freedom obtained. So she, it wasn't a guy on a horse. She used physics to get herself out of the Wow, Joel. Situation. Yeah. So this is a actually um so uh, right when my wife was pregnant, she was like three months pregnant with our daughter, and then my mom, like in like four weeks got cancer and passed away. And so she left me and my brother and my sister between the three of us like $25,000. And we didn't know what to do with the the money. So I said, well, let's make a book so that we can read it to our grand, like when we all have kids, we can read it and then we'll print up the books. But then it only costs like a couple thousand dollars to do the books. So I said, what are we gonna do with the rest? So I formed a a nonprofit printed up a couple thousand books and then gave them away to like homeless pregnant women shelters and stuff like that. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. just a wonderful story. And I can kind of just sort of feel your mom kind of looking down and inspired by what you what was motivated. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. We, we thought it was pretty cool. And then it's also, it's actually very cool to like with my daughter being 13 months to sit down and like read her a children's book that like we made. <laughs> Yeah, I can. I, yeah. Are there more? Are there more planned along the way? There's, uh, a, yeah, kids, there's yeah. another one that's out too. It's um, called Back to the Moon. And it's a brother and a sister. And the idea for the purpose of that one was to encourage space travel. And the purpose of this one was to encourage uh, females and technology and science, the whole STEM ecosystem. Well, that, that's really great. I, I you know, so I'm going to send you I'm going to send you both. Of, I'm going to send you a copy of both of them. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, very special. Yeah, they're, you're going to love them. And you, it's just, uh, it's cool. I actually found like one of the artists that previously had worked for Disney, like the illustrators mm -hmm. for the children's books. And so I just used that person. Wow. Like, so you had a graphic person that oh, worked yeah. to, to make all that happen too. Okay. Yeah. I sketched, but, <laughs> but my mm -hmm. sketches were, so like I sketched the scene of like what objects I wanted because I could see it in my head. 
but she like brought it to life. It was unbelievable. Wonderful. So, so actually in terms of inspiring your next book, maybe I'll just throw out a comment there. Please. Um, you know, f- first off, physics is physics and probably electrical engineering are two of the fields that many women shy away from. So your choice of physics is a great one. Um, but I'll also add that, you know, if you look at where um, technology is changing most rapidly these days, you know, there's certainly the sort of steady wave of the computation and informatics like we talked about, but it's really in biology where the cycles are happening faster and faster than ever in terms of new understanding being generated. You know, that in fact, the in many, many circles of the life sciences, but there are groups of biologists inspiring to be able to understand biology the way we understand physics, to be able to model, predict, and really, um, you know, have that that grounding, you know, of of what does happen in physics when you build a bridge, whatever. Whereas in biology, we're still decades away from really understanding all the layers and how they relate to each other. So, um, moving into the biological sciences is also going to be a place where we need um, all the all the great capabilities that we have. That's amazing. So we'll we'll do a we'll do a book for the biological sciences one. I just want to plant the seed. The wow! <laughs> yes. Okay, come on. Everyone would have laughed at a convention for that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. No, I like it. We're we're always like it's it was so much fun, and it's it's just it's really cool too. And we're still learning lots about physics. I mean, those cycles are still happening, but what is what is being learned and changing is probably happening more in space than on earth at this point. You know, if you think about that, whereas in biology, there's things that we're doing today that we didn't even know existed, you know, five years ago. Really? It's, it's like a little gold rush of information in biology. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's a lot of, a lot of what Agile is doing is trying to um, advance the tools that can help advance that research and discover those, those new layers of, of, of how cells really work and communicate. Oh, so you, you build tools and equipment to allow them to yeah. explore further? That's right. And, and so the instrumentation is about half of it, but there's a lot of front end chemical and biological reagents that contribute to being able to simplify the complexity of, of biology. And then, of course, the informatics on the back end that we talked about. So a fun question. How long will it be until like your company can produce like organic wings that I can attach to myself? <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not on the roadmap. No, not on the roadmap. <laughs> not on the roadmap. But but there is there's there's two there's two big layers of or two big um, kind of horizons with one what I term the century of biology. You know, I think that you know forty or fifty years from now they're gonna we're gonna look back on these days as the early days of, of what we will term the century of biology. And so one big thrust of that is precision medicine and health. But the other one is something that people call engineering biology or cellular manufacturing. And so, you know, maybe creating those wings could be part of that, that cellular manufacturing day direction. And a lot of that is also called bio-inspired engineering. So I think the wings fit into there. I like it. And, but know, but I, it is not, I want to make really clear that it's not part of the Agilent Roadmap today, not even, <laughs> even the tenure. <laughs> yes, ultra clear. 
100% clear. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I always ask fun questions, you know, uh, just to, it, it's life. Um, so I am, I am curious though, because so like I, I did see, um, what was it? Some video, my, cause my brother and stepmom are physicians and they're like, you know, nerdy too. They're always sharing stuff with me. He had sent me this one video of them, uh, printing these like organic structures of, organs and then they would put the cells onto them and it was like better than a transplant because your own cells would be on them and you're familiar with this concept yeah i mean you're you're the regenerative medicine and stem cell technologies and tissue engineering are a hugely important area and another i would say a great example of what people are doing today was really barely even imagined five years ago in terms yeah. of what the technology can do and and it's really making a big difference in uh, in, you know, um, medical treatments and orthopedics and things like that. Well, that's what I'm so excited about because when you can print livers, essentially the whole concept of waiting in line for one goes away. You're absolutely right. This, this idea of being able to find alternatives to human transplants for organs and things would be immensely uh, important. But it's it's not only the, the printing of the liver, as you say, but it's also then what happens inside the body and whether it's rejected or not. And that's where, again, this understanding of kind of biological communication and our immune system and things like that are, are so important. What's a good... and Sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but what's a good source? Like if I like, I'm always looking for trusted sources. So is there a publication I could, I could follow if I wanted to get some like non hype, what's actually advancements in, in biology? So, you know, there's, there's a book I could suggest that I think is really aimed broadly um, at those interested in technology and it's called what's your biostrategy. It was edited and compiled by John Cumbers, who's the um, president or CEO of SynBioBeta. And you might find it interesting. And it's very much along what this engineering biology cellular manufacturing side of things, um, less so than the precision medicine side, although, again, both are incredibly important. But that might be one to check out. Yeah. I, I, could send, I could arrange to have one of those copies sent to you if you'd like. Yeah, that'd be very cool. I okay. my, when when I'm when I'm quiet and I'm like you know walking in nature, doing my morning run, I'm like a crazy five a.m. person. Um, I like to go out and look at the stars and and do a run and things like that. But you know, my mind wanders, and sometimes I think about like what sort of new pumps will we be able to create once we have this ability to engineer with organics. Um, or whatever the correct term was, the cell cellular manufacturing type deal. Like we could. We, I mean, essentially, we're always looking to transfer energy, right? That's like a huge thing. But this whole world of energy transfer has been cut off to us. Like this whole concept, like we're these crazy energy machines uh, and we're organic structures. So, so cellular manufacturing has kind of a couple of different um, intentions or, or I'm going to say um, ways of, of really making a difference. The first is that biological-based manufacturing as compared to our traditional petrochemical-based can it is basically renewable, right? And so it's possible to, in a much more sustainable way, produce even in very large volumes the chemicals that are used in our industry today. 
Okay. And that has many environmental as well as, as sustainable, um, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, impact, impact in terms of, of, of our world. But the other thing that's pretty interesting about biological-based manufacturing is that it opens the door to potentially creating, let's say, products that never existed before. Things that were very, there, there's kind of a Venn diagram overlap of things that you could do chemically or biologically. Some you can do either way, but there's also a whole set of things that are really hard to do traditional chemical manufacturing-wise that you can do biologically. And that opens up new materials and things like that, that in principle can have higher performance as well as the improved sustainability than, uh, than what we have today. I'm so excited you know, so- for the future. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that future is happening today. So, um, you know, there's a number of products that have biologically based um, materials or uh, processes that are part of their product. But when you pick it up, it just looks like a normal product. So, for example, there's carpets that have been made by DuPont using a Serona fiber, which is partially or very heavily manufactured biologically. It actually has better stain resistance, for example, and and, a nice feel to it. Uh, in addition to being sustainable compared to say traditional nylon or something. So well, when you look at that carpet, it doesn't, it doesn't jump out and say, Hey, I'm biologically produced. Right. Right. So okay. there's, so, so the point is there's a big future, but there's actually a lot that is happening today as well. I love it. I just, I see um, two things. Uh, the first one was like the leather seats when I had seen this like alternative, this like biological oh, yeah. related. And I was like blown away. I was like, Oh, this is so much better than the leather seats. Right. Like, and it just made me kind of happy for humanity because, you know, we don't like to think about how everything's made. But when you think about us as a civilization, we have the option to make it with, you know, animals or we can just make it with like these bio organic concepts. It just makes much more sense to to choose the, you know, the bio organic concepts. <laughs> The hope is that some of these new technologies and capabilities will address some of the challenges that we definitely face today on Earth. And then the other thing was like, when I started engineering or writing code and and building things, um, you know, we just had to lay so much groundwork, so much foundation over and over and over again to just do the most basic, simple things like reading records out of the database, like just continually write the same stuff over and over. And then, you know, over the past 20 years, it's like now I can jump in and there's a framework and I can get a, basically do what would take 50 people three months, you know, and the 90s I can do in five minutes now. And so it's it'll be really cool when we have the our our youth and elementary schools designing these biostructures or being able to easily and readily access them. Um, that'll be a really cool, really cool time. I'm sorry. I'm all excited. You got me all excited because I don't I'm get glad. to talk about this area a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for reaching out to me and to Agilent. We're glad to diversify your uh, conversations. <laughs> I love it. So what are you most excited about today? Today, um, so I think that you know, it really kind of comes back to this impact of biology. And in that, um, you know, there's this area of precision medicine that we haven't really talked about very much, but it's the idea that we'll be able to understand and treat various disorders and diseases at a molecular level. And, you know, 
how we classify and think about diseases has evolved greatly over the, the last, you know, many decades. You know, in the really early days, if you had a fever, you know, you didn't know if it was scarlet fever or an infection or whatever. But today, our tools are, are much, much better for diagnosing a fever. And similarly, in areas like cancer and oncology, we're starting to appreciate how what we might call breast cancer or lung cancer is actually many, many different disorders that all have a different molecular basis. And that if you understand that molecular basis, you might be able to much better predict who in fact really is going to respond to a specific therapy. We've probably all had friends and family in our lives that have had to deal with cancer. And it's always, it has seemed up until, you know, recent years that it was rather unpredictable while one patient who seemingly had breast cancer or prostate cancer, one responded and one didn't. And so the understanding that we're getting in terms of genomics and cells and proteomics and metabolomics is helping us to be able to much better understand those, those, those disorders. And in in complement to that, there's a whole new um, uh, generation of therapeutics that are also being generated uh, based on proteins and nucleic acids. And so this, this direction of precision medicine and potentially being able to uh, dramatically change outcomes and maybe even cure uh, some of these diseases, uh, to me, is just an incredible uh, contribution if we can even play a small role in helping make that happen. Yeah, I'm on your side. You let me know what you need. <laughs> no, I like it. So what you're saying kind of makes is it was an interesting view for me. So tell me if I'm wrong with this. What we would call like a breast cancer, right? That was, it's much more detailed than that. Like there's a deeper exactly. resolution. Perfect. Okay. Exactly. And up until now, you know, we didn't really have the tools or the understanding to take those deeper resolution steps. And that's what's really been changing in this whole area of precision medicine, where there's a much more detailed view of your particular, um, you know, challenge and what is much more likely to work. And obviously, if you want can find the right therapy in the beginning, that is the best thing that can happen. Um, but in an area like cancer, it's even more important because time's important. And so being on the wrong therapy before getting on the right therapy, um, you know, can also make a huge difference. So we're really trying to, to help get to early detection and, and choice of the therapy that's best for that individual. Oh, I'm so excited with what you're doing. I'm so glad a company like you exist and you're there with the leadership and every generation of uh, equipment and learning that you successively produce, you get us one step closer to solving these problems and improving the quality of life for everybody. So thank you so much. No, absolutely. And it's, it's really an honor to work with our research partners and customers in these areas and, and starting to see some of their really great results. Amazing. Darlene, we did it. Thank you. We did. Did we do it? We made a podcast. <laughs> it was great. Thank I'm you glad. so much. Yeah, no, it was really, really nice talking to you, Joel. And, uh, you know, um, let me know what we can do to help support you in next steps. And I'll send you the book and you'll send me your two books. Yeah, excellent. After the call, uh, Jake will send over. We'll get your get the address. We can send, send you the, yeah. the books. And then we'll let you know when the clips are going to be posted and when the podcast is going to all that good stuff. Okay. Thank Look you so much, Darlene. Really nice to meet you. Nice to meet Bye -bye. you. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.